Hey folks, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, we're going to dive back into our study of James tonight. James chapter 3, we're going to pick it up tonight in verse 2. James is about radical Christianity. James has been confronting us through this book with a radical walk with God. And each week, each passage we take, we see a little bit different way uh, that James is calling us to a radical faith. Tonight we want to deal with a radical view of our tongue or a radical view of speech. And that's one of James's big subjects. You'll notice in James chapter 3, I, I just want to begin reading in verse 2. James says, for we all stumble in many ways. And in the context, I believe he's talking about the way we talk, our speech. I just wrote a few of those many ways that we stumble with our tongue. Lying, deceit, cursing, false oaths, name-calling, backbiting, slander, gossip, false accusation, harsh speech, impulsive speech, profanity, vulgarity, flattery, seduction, abusive speech. We could go on and on. For we all stumble in many ways in the area of speech. Notice he goes on to say, if someone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect individual. He doesn't mean sinless. The word perfect in the New Testament means spiritually mature. One who is being brought to, to the end that God intended. One who is on their way to becoming all that God created them to be. That's what the word perfect means. doesn't mean sinless. It means On the road to spiritual maturity. So he's saying one of the great barometers or ways that we tell our growth, our spiritual maturity, our walk with God is through our speech. And James is basically saying when you and I can get to a place in our walk with Christ where we can master this tongue. Where, where we, can, we can show some restraint and some control over what we say, we are certainly coming to that place where we are becoming all that God intended for us to be. That's what he means here. And then notice something else he says. He says, and if someone does not stumble in what he says, he's not only a perfect individual, he's able to control the entire body as well. In other words, if I can learn to restrain and control this, that the same self-discipline and restraint and control that I need to, to do this can be transferred to any and every other area of my life. In counseling over the years when I did more than what I can do now, one of the things I would always share, if somebody came in and they said, Jeff, I'm struggling with a certain habit, a habit that I would like to break, a habit that I would like to gain control over and gain mastery over and see victory in my life, One of the exercises that I would take them through every once in a while was start with your tongue. Because the Bible tells us here in the book of James that when we can begin to see mastery over that, that same discipline, that same control can be applied to all other areas of my life. Because we see here in the book of James how this little tongue can really drive something much bigger. And James is a... James is a master storyteller. He, he's a picture giver. He, he's, a, he's a visionary. He wants to give us visuals that we can see in our mind as he makes this point. So notice he goes on here to say this. 
He says in verse 3, and if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us. How do we control this massive animal? By controlling their mouth. And when we can control their mouth, we can control the entire movement of that animal. He's saying the same thing is true with the human tongue. When we learn to control it, we can control everything else in our body and connected to our body. The next illustration he uses is the ship. He says, look at the ships too. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. And by that rudder, that huge ship can be driven in the direction it wants to go. Now, notice also with the ship and even with the horse, they may want to go contrary to the way we want to direct them. But that it, if there is the right controls in place and the right tools in place, even against contrary forces, we can head in the right direction. And we're going to talk tonight because we want to go to some other passages of Scripture because in James chapter 3, he really lays out a great case for the problem we have with our tongue. But at least in this particular specific passage of Scripture, he doesn't really give us the tools that we need of how to, how to overcome it. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We're not going to leave you hanging. Notice in verse 5, so too the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. We all know that from being here in Arizona and being near Southern California, that every year in the wildfire season, that huge wildfires that destroy so much land get started by just sometimes one spark. And we all know from being on the other end, the hurtful end of a lot of people's words in our day that, that, and even the intent, we never intended for it to go that far. We never intended for all those people to hear. We never intended for all those people to be hurt by it. And the Bible is saying our words many times is like a fire. It gets started very small, but boy, it can balloon into something much bigger than we ever intended. Because once it gets going and once the words get out there, they're impossible to get back. They're impossible to control. A good visual to keep in mind is I always say my words are like the toothpaste inside the tube. Once they get out, it's impossible to get the toothpaste back in the tube. You ever try? I mean, you can't do that. You can't take your words back. We may say something and then even right after we say, oh, I wish I would have never said it, but it's out at that point, just like the fire blazing through the forest. And he says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. It represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It is representative of how depraved we are and how much we do struggle. And like Brian even says tonight, even as Christians, how we need to depend upon the Lord every day for his grace and strength in order to overcome the pull of the flesh because it represents that maybe more than anything else in our bodies. It pollutes, notice, the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell itself. He's also saying, you, you can have a very attractive person and they may have a lot of external things going for them, but once they open up their mouth, it sometimes taints the way we look at them or how attractive they are. 
That's what James means when he says it pollutes the entire body. It, it can taint a person. And once those words get going, it's almost like it's, it's hard to stop. It's like a, a wheel. It's like the fireworks that they put on that wheel and just start turning it and the fireworks go off. And sometimes the more we use our tongue in negative ways, it just feeds on itself. It's like I tell a lie and then I've got to tell a lie to cover up the lie and then it just keeps compounding. That's what James is saying. To the point where even as a Christian, I have to be careful that the source of what I am saying is not ultimately coming from the pits of hell rather than the gates of heaven. To give you a biblical illustration of this, and we're going to come back to James in just a moment, turn over to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Now, to show you, too, the context, and this is going to fit in with what James is about to say also in James chapter 3, right before this, just a few moments before this passage we're going to look at, Jesus says to his disciples, who, who do people say that I am? And, you know, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses, come back, and all of this. And who do you guys say that I am? And Peter pipes in, and you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, boy, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. And Peter nails it. He uses his, his mouth to acknowledge Jesus Christ and to praise him, and he gives glory to God. Just a few moments later, look at the inconsistency, which sometimes describes our life. One minute we're praising God, and the next minute we're saying something that, wow, where did that come from? Verse 21, Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. This is what he'd been telling his followers all the time. That was the purpose for why he came. The purpose was to go to the cross and die for our sins. We need a savior. But notice, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. How do you like to be the guy that's known throughout eternity as the guy who rebuked Jesus? You know? I mean, Peter did a lot of great things, but again, it's like, no, Jesus, come here. You know, I'm rebuking you. Notice, God forbid, Lord, this must not happen to you. Now notice Jesus' response, verse 23. Very interesting. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because what Jesus is pointing out is exactly what James is saying. That sometimes our tongue is even set on fire by hell itself. And what comes out is actually coming from the source of hell. From the very pits of hell. Because it's certainly not what God's perspective is. It's Satan's perspective. Peter was trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. If that would have happened, Satan would have won. And so Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. You're looking at this, Peter. We're all wrong. And the words that are coming out of your mouth aren't coming from my heavenly Father. And they're not coming from the word of God. They're coming from the very pits of hell. Get behind me, Satan. See, one of the sobering things we need to remind ourselves of, even as Christians, is that everything that comes out of our mouth is coming from one of two sources, ultimately. It can either be traced back to the glory of heaven or to the pit of hell. 
It's only one of two sources where our words come from. And that's exactly what Jesus and James is reminding us. Go back then to James chapter 3, verse 7. He talks about the fact that mankind can tame a lot of things. We can tame every kind of animal, bird, reptile, sea creature. We could also add we can tame ma- massive bodies of water. You know, we, we dam up rivers and we, we tame them to give us, you know, hydroelectricity and, and power and all of that. And, and, and we, can, we can subdue and, and tame atomic particles to give us power. And there's all kinds of things that men, through our technology and our advances, have been able to harness and be able to tame But notice he says in verse 8, no human being can subdue the tongue. I want you to keep that phrase in mind because as we go through the last half hour of our study tonight, that's going to be something I'm going to refer back to. No human being can tame or subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Almost again giving us the picture of a of a serpent, of a snake. It can even take us back to the Garden of Eden and how the serpent tempted Eve and how he misspoke and used his words to trip up Adam and Eve and plunge humanity into sin. How the serpent has a forked tongue. And again, how we can, with one side of our mouth in a sense, We can say the right thing at one time like Peter did in Matthew 16 and turn right around a few moments later and something very vile can come out of the same mouth. So notice, James says that the the purpose here, the, the thing that God is looking for as we grow in our spiritual walk, as we spiritually mature, is that we become more consistent with our speech. Again, not perfect, not sinless, Not ever going to say something I shouldn't say, but that there should be a growing consistency in the manner in which I speak. Notice verse 9. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, just like we've done tonight. Come, sang praises to God, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. But notice, and with it, we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. And then he gives us four, again, pictures. Four questions, four illustrations in our mind that we can think about and realize, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Even nature, it doesn't make sense. Something doesn't come out of something else. There's a consistency there. So notice the four questions. Verse 11, a spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening. It's either one or the other. And can a fig tree, verse 12, produce olives? My brothers and sisters. Or can a vine that produces grapes also produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. So he's simply using those illustrations to say God is looking for consistency. If we call ourselves Christians, we say we're followers of Christ, then one of the ways that that is going to show up in our lives in a dramatic way is through our speech. And as we grow as a Christian, as we spiritually mature, our speech should be more God-honoring, God-pleasing than what it was when we first became a Christian. 
I want you to go with me now through a quick tour of the book of Proverbs. So take your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs, beginning at Proverbs chapter 18. If there's one book that talks more about our speech and our tongue and how to use it properly than any other, it is the book of Proverbs. And one thing I want to remind us of is simply this. The Bible teaches us that God has given us great power through our speech. You know, sometimes we may, God hasn't given me power. Well, the Bible teaches that, and and we know this, we just need to think more about it and meditate on it because we've been on the other end of it. We've been on the other end of the very hurtful, painful things that other people have said to us or about us, and hopefully we've not done the same to them. But we know the power of the spoken word, and the Bible over and over again reminds us of the power God has placed into our hands as human beings by giving us the ability to speak. Nations have been brought down and brought up through speech. People's lives have been turned around through speech, through an encouraging word. Hopefully there was a time in your life, in my life, when God brought somebody into my life and through the right words introduced me to Jesus Christ. Speech is powerful. And notice in Proverbs 18, verse 21, the writer says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love its use will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Folks, God has given you and I some tremendous power. We, we wield this power every day when we speak into people's lives. And we are either building them up or we are tearing them down. We're either making a a positive difference in their life or we are a huge negative in the ways of the world. But God has placed that power in our lives. Think about the, over the years, even since we're in the political season, about the speeches that have been made by great statesmen and how they rallied people behind it. Speech is powerful. And the Bible supports that 100%. Go back now to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 12. And I could have just shared these with you, but I, I thought it was important enough to let you see these verses for yourself. They're some of my favorite verses out of Proverbs on our speech and on the power of speech. Proverbs 12, verse 18, speaking recklessly is like the thrust of a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. Wow. Again, we can, we know exactly what he's talking about. Because I'm sure there's not a person in this room that hasn't been on the other end of a sword. And not a physical, not a stainless steel sword, but this, the sword of the tongue. That somebody wielded one day in our lives and it was just like somebody could have taken a sword. And in fact, in many ways, it was probably more painful. And they just, they just skewered us. And it hurt. It hurt. And we might have brushed it off. We might have went on. We might have acted really strong. We might have said it didn't bother us. And we probably thought about it the rest of the day and maybe the rest of the week and couldn't get it because it cut as deep as it can possibly cut. 
That's what speaking recklessly can do in people's lives. But the right kind of words can bring healing. Think again over your life about the key times in your life where maybe somebody spoke a word that was so encouraging, something that turned your day, something that gave you hope, something that maybe gave you a different perspective, and wow, what a difference their few words made. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. And Here's just a suggestion. Write these verses down on an index card and meditate on them and think about them for a while. They're good verses to think about. Speech that heals is like a life-giving tree, but a perverse tongue breaks the spirit. And the word perverse just means subversive. Again, a tongue that's trying to bring another person down. And we all know that many times in our society, in our lives, in order for people to go higher, they feel like it's necessary to tear others down in order to get there. We've all been on the other end of that. Again, hopefully we're not doing that to others. We need to have speech like a life-giving tree that provides shade and refreshment for others and doesn't break the spirit. Look at Proverbs fifteen twenty-three, just a few verses over. 15.23, a person has joy in giving an appropriate answer and a word at the right time, how good it is. Sometimes timing is everything. And the Bible even says that God gives us great joy when we have shared some kind of answer that was affirmed and that was right and that was true. I mean, I even go back to, and I realize I got to go back a few years now, but I even remember going back to elementary school. You know, I was one of those kids in class that I, I just, if I knew the right answer, man, I was up there like this. I wanted the teacher to call on me because if I had the right answer, it was so cool to go, teacher, I know the answer. What is it, Jeff? Yeah, right. I was like, yeah. I, you know, it gave me great joy. Now, that happened like once a year when I went to school, but, you know, but it was so cool. Part of the reason why some people are drawn to counseling, because for them to be able to sit across from somebody who may be struggling and be able to give them an answer that helps and helps them to navigate and gives them hope and whatever, that even gives the counselor joy to be able to give others the right answer. And anytime you and I give Jesus to others, we are giving them the right answer. Look at Proverbs 16, 28. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person, again, a subversive person, spreads dissension. And a gossip separates the closest friends. That's the power of speech. That even the closest of friends can be separated by what someone else says. That's how powerful our speech is. One other one, Proverbs 25.11. Again, a beautiful picture here. Proverbs 25.11. Like apples of gold in settings of silver, so is a word skillfully spoken. Wow, I love that. A word skillfully spoken. 
Remember earlier in Proverbs 12, it talked about speaking recklessly? God doesn't want us to speak recklessly. God wants us to learn through our relationship with Him to speak skillfully. So how do we do that? How do we learn to control our tongue? How do we learn to tame our tongue? The Bible says in James 3.8, no human being can tame or subdue the tongue. So how can we do it? I'm going to give you four ways that we can control our speech. Number one, let someone stronger direct it. Let someone stronger direct it. The verse I would like to take you to is Psalm 141, verse 3. Psalm 141, verse 3. You see, James 3, 8 says, No human being can tame the tongue, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that God can't tame the tongue. And so the first thing that we need to do in order to start taming our tongue and controlling our speech and learning to speak skillfully is by allowing God, the one who is stronger in us, to sort of take over our speech and to help us tame and restrain and control what we say. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 141 verse 3. O Lord, place a guard on my mouth. Protect the opening of of my lips. You see, I think every day it would behoove us as Christians, it would be probably very wise for us to wake up every morning and one of the first things we ask the Lord to do is to help us with our speech today. Lord, help my speech honor you. Help what I say glorify you. Help what I say to others build them up. Help what I say Be something skillful. Give me the right answer or help me to stay silent. Help me not to break someone's spirit today, Lord. And I believe God answers those prayers. And I believe if we call upon him to help direct our speech, that the Lord will. There's a story in the book of Exodus where the children of Israel were without water at this place in the desert. And they started to murmur and complain like they always did with their tongues. And God told Moses, I want you to take this branch from this tree. Oh, and they found a place of water, but it was bitter. So they named the bitter waters Mara, which is what it means in the Hebrew. And so God came to, to Moses and said, cut this branch off and throw it into the waters and the bitter waters will become very sweet and the Israelites will be able to drink it and quench their thirst. And it, it's a beautiful picture of how with God, God can take those bitter waters and he can make them sweet. He can make them palatable through his power and through his strength. So let the Lord direct our speech. That's number one. Number two, the second way we can control our speech is by guarding our heart. By guarding our heart. Please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 33. Now, when the Bible uses the word heart, we have to use biblical definitions, not English definitions. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's not speaking about that internal organ that pumps blood through our body. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's speaking about sort of the the nerve center 
of us as a human being. It is what I call the seat of our emotions and our will and and our thought processes and all that. It's all wrapped up in that word, the heart. So when I'm saying guard our heart, what I'm simply saying is we have to be careful of what we're pouring into the nerve center, what we're allowing ourselves to experience, to see, to hear, and all of that, because all of that is sort of the hard drive, if you will, that's going to affect our speech. Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 12, beginning at verse 33. He says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, offspring of vipers. How are you able to say anything good since you are evil? For the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. Let me just stop there. Very important biblical principle. Jesus says, the mouth speaks from what fills the heart. So when I said then, the second principle of how to control our speech is to guard our heart, is because whatever we're filling our heart with is going to come out of our mouth. So we've got to be careful what we're filling this well or this treasury with, you see. Because if we're filling it with all kinds of junk, then Jesus says that's what's going to come out. If I fill it with things that are pure, things that are right, things that are clean, things that are upright, then those are the things that's going to come out of my mouth because that's all I've got in my treasury, you see. Very important principle. So notice verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, the good person brings good things out of his good treasury and the evil person brings evil things out of his evil treasury. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every worthless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. See, God holds us accountable for what we say. We're not condemned because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But even as Christians, we'll have to give an account for the words that we've said. That's why we've got to be careful what we say. And we've got to ask the Lord to direct our speech. That's why I even, especially Christians, I say, look, even when you come to church and you sing choruses and praise songs, Make sure you mean what you're singing. Because from the Bible's perspective, from God's perspective, it would be better to keep your mouth shut and not be back there saying, Oh God, I love you, I praise you, and really not mean it. Or when we sing like, you know, God, I'm going to give my life to you. And, and, and I, you know, if we're not meaning what we're saying, we're going to have to give an account for that. So out of the good treasury... Guard your heart. Be careful what goes into that central nerve center of your being because it's eventually going to come out if it goes in. Third principle of how our speech can be controlled. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. And the third principle is live by the Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 13. Live by the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to control, depend upon the Spirit. I I don't really care what the semantics are. Allow the Spirit of God to control our speech and live by the Spirit. And notice in the context here, he's talking about speech. 
I want to begin in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. Wow. He's talking to Christians here. And sad to say, sometimes down through history, in churches and with groups of Christians, they begin to bite and devour each other and basically consume each other. Here's the remedy. Verse 16. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Live by the Spirit. You see, even when the flesh wants to say that hurtful word, even when the flesh wants to say that word in anger, even when the flesh says, I want you to break their spirit, I want you to tear them down, whatever, that by being under the control of the Spirit, I have a supernatural power, a supernatural resource that can help me rein in and tame and subdue my speech. At all times. That's the beauty of why New Testament Christians who have the indwelling Holy Spirit at all times, we have that resource within us, the God himself, God the Holy Spirit, that we can tap into at any time. Live by the Spirit and you and I will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. How can our speech be controlled? Let someone stronger direct it. Guard your heart. Live by the Spirit. And the fourth principle... Watch your associations. Watch who you hang around with. I want to go back just for a few moments in closing tonight to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. To chapter 13, verse 20. Watch your associations. Proverbs 13, verse 20. The Bible says, the one who associates with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about what wisdom looks like, a radical wisdom that actually brings harmony in relationships. How do we live in harmony? What's that look like? That's next week. But wisdom is not some kind of intellectual acumen. It's not measured by an IQ test. Wisdom in the Bible is the skill of living life that pleases God. That's what wisdom is. And if we want to live life to please God and bring glory to Him, we need to walk with wise, not with a companion of fools. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When words abound, transgression is inevitable. I love that. The Bible just basically says if you keep talking, you're eventually going to say something you shouldn't. But the one who restrains his words is what? Wise. So if you're looking for somebody who's wise to hang around and associate with, look for someone who can restrain their words, who has learned through their walk with God by living by the Spirit, by guarding their heart, and by letting someone stronger, namely God, direct their speech, how to be able to restrain and subdue this tongue that no human being has the power to do. 
Proverbs 18, verse 2. I love the book of Proverbs. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in disclosing what is on his mind. According to the Bible, a fool is somebody who has a closed mind and an open mouth. That's a fool. They don't, they're not teachable. They're not open to reason. They're not open to what other people have to say. They have a closed mind. They know what's best. Nobody's going to tell them anything but an open mouth because they're always imparting how smart they are to everybody. I know, I'm not talking about anybody we know. But anyway, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 19. The one who goes about gossiping reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with someone who is always opening his mouth. Wow. See, the Bible says there's four ways that you and I can begin to get mastery over this thing. Let someone stronger, God, direct it. Let him be the rudder or the bit in the horse's mouth. Two, guard your heart. Be careful of what goes into this central system of ours because what goes in is going to be reproduced somewhere down the road. Live by the Spirit of God. Be constantly depending upon the Spirit throughout the day, allowing Him to be the strength that you and I need, and watch who we associate with. Walk with the wise, the Bible says, and you and I will grow wise. If our companions are a bunch of fools who have closed minds and are always opening their mouth, and they show no restraint, and guess what? You and I end up getting sucked into that kind of behavior too because that pack, that's the way they're going to act. And if we're going to be part of that group, we're going to eventually have to succumb to that type of behavior. What's the conclusion? Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. Proverbs chapter 21 Verse 23. Here's what the Bible says. Very simple, but yet very profound. The one who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his life from troubles. Wow. That's why God wants us to learn to guard our mouth and our tongue. Because it's only for it's only going to spare us trouble. Because you and I, if we're honest, and a lot of times the trouble that we have found ourselves in and gotten ourselves into in relationships and in the world in which we have lived is because we opened up our mouth when we shouldn't, we said something we shouldn't have said, and we brought the pain and we brought the trouble on ourselves. Maybe we even associated with a group of people we should have never associated with, but we did, and we got caught up in it, and... There it is. The Bible says God wants us to learn to guard our mouth and our tongue so that we keep our life from trouble. It's for our own good, like everything else God encourages us to do. So with that, what should be our commitment? One final verse I'd like to share with you tonight. Go back to one book, to the book of Psalms, to Psalm 39, verse 1. Psalm 39, verse 1. 
If the conclusion is the one who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his life from troubles, then it is my hope and prayer tonight that as we wrap up our study tonight on the radical speech that God wants Christians to have in their lives, that each one of us would truly desire to make the beginning of this verse a commitment from our heart to God. And here's the commitment. Psalm 39, verse 1. The psalmist says, I came to a place in my life where I decided I will watch what I say and make sure I do not sin with my tongue. Friends, I hope that each one of us tonight, after being confronted with all these different passages of Scripture on our speech and the tongue and how powerful they are, and all of us in here have been on the other side of those piercings of the sword and those painful, hurtful words. And maybe some of us here have had gossip separate the very closest of friendships. And we've all been there and we know the power of the tongue. That hopefully we will leave here tonight saying, God, help me. Help me to use my speech in a proper way that pleases you. Help me to look to you for the strength that I need. Help me to guard my heart and what goes in it. Help me to live by the Spirit. Help me to watch who I associate with. And help me to come to a place in my life where truly I'm saying to you, God, I've decided I will watch what I say and make sure that I do not sin with my tongue. Let's close in prayer. God, I just pray tonight For each of us that wants to make that commitment to you tonight or renew that commitment to you tonight, you would help us in that commitment. Because, Lord, we have learned tonight we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do this at all. It's absolutely impossible. If we try in our own power, we will fall flat on our faces all the time because the Bible clearly says no human being can subdue or tame the tongue. But God, you can tame it. You can help us to subdue it. We have a power through the Lord Jesus Christ that is greater than the tongue. And Lord, through our speech... You can use us to powerfully impact this world, to encourage, to give hope, to give meaning, to build people's spirits, not crush them. Lord, even tomorrow, you may want us to have a conversation with somebody that totally turns their life and changes it for eternity. God, help us to realize the power that you place into our lives each and every day through the power of speech and help us to honor you with that power and to allow you to put a boundary around that power and harness it only to be used for good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here tonight. Have a great week. See you next week.